When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into THN on the O. As always, I'm your host, Tony Ferrari, joined by Brock Otten. And this week to kick off the show, we're also joined by Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. How are you doing this week, Scott? I'm doing well. I was just telling you guys before we hopped on here, but just back from the Memorial Cup yesterday and off to the Combine two days from now. And it's just, uh, this is this is crunch time. This is go time. So I'm I'm excited about it and looking forward to it, but also just crazy busy right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense to start off with a question about this draft class as a whole. Where are you on the strength of this class? Like in 10 years, when we look back, you know, at the 2023 draft, is this going to be one that's looked on extremely fondly? Like where where are you at with that? Yeah, I I do think it is. This is my 10th year doing this sort of on a full-time basis. And I've said this before, but I think outside of 2015, this is the best group I've scouted. And obviously some of that is driven by the top end, right? We just haven't had a draft with four or five guys as deep as this one at the top uh, and as talented as those four or five guys are at the top in, in, in that period of time, right? Since 2015, when it was Jack Eichel and Mitch Marner, it wasn't just Connor McDavid, right? So um, that piece of it is is a big part of it. But I think this draft has been almost not miscast, but there has almost been too much attention paid to those five guys relative to the rest. And I do actually believe that this is a very deep draft, particularly at forward, right through first, second, maybe even into the early third round. I think there will still be legit talents available. Uh, and then the progress made on on defense in a big, big way, right? That was the question mark about this draft coming in. And there was a time when we were talking about Cam Allen uh, from an OHL perspective as a potential top first or second or third defenseman taken in this group. And we're, we've ju- we're just so far from that now. There have really been four or five strong defensemen that have emerged, as always happens in the draft class. They just come along a little bit slower. Uh, and then even deeper into the draft, and a, a, a number of those OHL guys that I'm sure we'll get to that kind of fit as second-round picks as defensemen, uh, that has helped to strengthen it. And then on top of that, actually a pretty strong crop of goalies. There's – there were six goalies on my list, and I believe in at least in my seven years at the Athletic, that's the most that's the most goalies that have appeared in my top 100. Now there isn't a, a Spencer Knight or a Yaroslav Askarov or a Jesper Wallstedt, uh, but good depth in terms of not just those six goalies. There were three or four other goalies that I debated for my list. So really, a group of nine, ten goalies, depending on who you talk to, that have a sort of legit case to be drafted, not not just in the late rounds, but sort of that that middle round range. So. Uh, yeah, just right through the draft. Uh, it's still a little bit weaker, I would say, on defense than, than your average draft, but everywhere else, especially at forward. I mean, I think we're going to see some legit star forwards, a lot like 2015, where as much as the story of that draft is McDavid and Marner and Eichel, it's also Sebastian Aho, right? It's Kyle Connor, it's Travis Konechny. Uh, I think we're going to see those types of players emerge from this group as well. So uh, that's got me excited. I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see, especially some of the wingers. I think the centers, as we all know, will go early, but some of the wingers in this draft, I think are going to linger. And then four or five years from now, I think you could be having 
a conversation about them like you're having about Connect Me and Brock Besser and some of the sort of late first round wingers uh, from 2015. Now, the NHL Draft Combine is this week. You're obviously going later this week. We talked about it just before we jumped on here. What do you take from that event? And is there anything specific that you're looking for when you go? It's more of just a tool for gathering info for me at this point. It's the best week of the year outside of U18 Worlds to just talk to people. Uh, everybody's at ease. The work, the meetings are mostly all done. Uh, and I just, we just, a few, me and a few other people at the Athletic just hang around at that, that Marriott Hotel in Buffalo and just sit in the restaurant and talk to whoever comes through kind of thing. Like that's just uh, a huge point of access uh, and just talking to people, nitpicking them on in this year, it'll be on some of the rush. I'll be curious about some of the Russian kids who aren't at the combine and sort of finding out where teams stand on some of the Russian kids that they haven't been able to see. Um, you get a sense for who's sort of really risen and fallen late in the season in some of those conversations uh, and can just sort of, sort of cross your T's and dot your I's if you will. So uh, that's what's important for me. It's not what they measure in at or updated heights and weights. The updated heights and weights are nice. Um, that doesn't hurt for sure. Uh, but just sort of the, 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 the testing and that piece of it and how well they interview doesn't really impact me. Uh, it's, it's more just the, the information gathering, if you will. Now, you mentioned that the testing and the heights and weights and stuff, it's nice, but it's not necessarily something that you're all that interested in. Would you mm -hmm. like to see this become a bit more of a spectacle similar to the NFL draft? Maybe some more on ice testing, just little events like that? Yeah, I would love to see it transition to some on-ice testing. I actually find the on-ice testing that they do at the CHL Top Prospects game to be a little bit more illuminating than some of the stuff we get out of out of the Combine in Buffalo. Certainly the Combine in Buffalo, I mean, the Wingate can be a spectacle when kids start puking and, and that happens. But uh, other other than that, there's not a lot that, that's uh, pulling people out of their seats or in many cases the people that are in the arena they, that they do it there in Buffalo aren't even paying attention to what's going on below them. So... Uh, it's more of just a, a gathering of people, a gathering of minds, if you will. So, um, yeah, it, it, sure, it could benefit from that. But I also think, uh, by contrast, you can measure things in the NFL that are so telling, right? Like how how fast somebody runs, that 40-yard dash tells you something about what an offensive lineman's going to look like or what a running back's going to look like. It's the same in basketball now with wingspans and what wingspan means for an player's ability to defend, right? In hockey, I just don't find there's those direct connections to this test actually gives me concrete information about what this player is going to look like doing this thing in the NHL, right? It's just so much harder because the game's so fluid to really make those those connections and translate it that way. So that piece of it is, is always going to be a challenge for them. But sure, I, I would love to see more on-ice testing similar to what they do at the CHL Top Prospects game. In terms of the draft content that we're going to talk about, we're going to focus on a lot of the OHL guys with us being an OHL pod. So I thought we would kind of run down your your top-ranked OHL guys. And I know number one is Colby Barlow. Why is he the number one OHL player on your list this year? Yes, yeah, so some of it just comes down to pedigree. Uh, it's not easy to score 40-plus goals in your draft year in the OHL. Uh, so anytime you do that, I think you're going to get people's attention. And then on top of that, it's, I mean, you guys have bumped into him. It takes about five seconds to realize that he's going to be a professional hockey player. Uh, he's just a big, strong kid. I do think teams actually will have questions about that. When we talk about the combine, there are going to be direct questions to Colby Barlow 
about whether he's he's past his development phase, whether he's it's actually a, almost a negative for some teams when a kid is already that strong, already that well built, has the full beard. It's a sign, right, that maybe he doesn't have the runway that some of his peers do in terms of getting better, getting stronger, developing. I think the case that Colby and I've asked him similar questions, and I think the case that he would make is that he's still got work to do on his skating. There are still areas of his game that he needs to improve upon. Uh, and then on top of that, he's, he's built for it. He plays a sort of that classic honest style. There's a reason he was the captain of that team. He finishes his checks. He gets after it on the four check. Certainly not. I mean, we all know not, not the quickest kid out there. And that's going to be, I think the deciding factor in terms of the levels that he's capable of reaching in the NHL as an NHL player, but he can shoot it. He's got good hands. He's a big, strong kid. Uh, and he just projects as kind of a goal-scoring winger. I think it's safe to say that he's going to be a middle six goal-scoring winger type. And then maybe he can be more of a top six guy with the right development. So uh, teams are, are drawn to that that safety net with him. And just he's a good kid. He just won the Scalab. He's just in Kelowna or Kamloops for the Memorial Cup. And he was there accepting the award for the Scholastic Player of the Year in the CHL. So obviously a good student as well. And I think he'll interview well in Buffalo. And he's just the kind of player that once you get outside of a true cream of the crop at the top of the draft, it feels like he's a natural selection for a lot of people in that next range. Do you think there's a chance that he gets taken in the top 10? Not at this point. I, I think people, uh, he was banged up at U18 Worlds, so it's hard to read too much into it. But I think a so-so performance at U18 Worlds where he had multiple line mates come through his line and just never really got going with any of them uh, did sort of soften people. And then the skating probably keeps him out of that range as well. Uh, there was a time sort of midway through this year where I thought he was sort of entering into that conversation. And then despite scoring at the CHL Top Prospects game out in Langley, I actually didn't think he was he was very good in that game either, even though he sort of potted a rebound there. So uh, there have been mom en enough moments, I think, that have made people pause for him throughout the year. Uh, still, obviously, he's, he's going to be a teens guy, I think. Um, but I, because of his position, because he's a winger, and because of some of those minor question marks, I think that probably keeps him outside the top 10. Now, Quinton Musty's my top OHL guy, and I think he's number two on your board. There are inconsistencies in his game. People will question the effort, but the skill, the, the the blend of power and playmaking that he has, it really intrigues people. So what's kind of your gauge on his game? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Quinton. And, and he was, uh, they were 17, 18 on my list. So he was right there. Uh, could have easily been my number one guy kind of thing. Um, I, I believe that Quinton's going to be a very good player. I think he still has room to improve on his sort of finishing this year in terms of where relative to where it was at this year, he was actually a tremendous for, for all you look at the stats and it kind of skews, skews assists. Right. But he was actually a tremendous shot creator for that team a volume, almost a bit of a volume shooter at times, despite also being a little bit of a playmaking type for them. And then it's all within that six foot two, six foot three, 200 pound frame. Right. He's another kid who looks like a man already. He's built physically, um, there's belief that he still has more room to grow there. There's some clear natural talent. He moves fine, just fine for me in terms of the player who's that big and heavy. Uh, so not a lot of not not a lot to nitpick there. I think he's going to score more next year than he did this year. I think he can certainly play make. He's got the size piece. Again, a winger. So if you read into that what you may, I think people actually spend a little bit too much time worrying about winger versus center in terms of picking it, these kids. Um, but I, I just think he's going to be a good, another good sort of middle six potential top six winger at the next level who can 
play on your power play and give you a little bit of a different dimension on a line. And he's also the kind of player who we've seen work with smaller players. I think you're going to see that at the NHL too. Like you could put him with a little skill guy and they could complement each other really well. He knows how to read off of coverage. He knows how to read off of his line mates. Uh, so there's, there's some sort of compatibility there that could be really interesting with a talented sort of player on his wing or on or the opposite wing or at center. So there's, there's a lot to, a lot to like with Quinton. I'm a big fan. And that, well, that Sudbury yeah, team's sorry, gonna be good next, that Sudbury team's going to be good next year too, which will be fun. Yeah, they're going to be really good. And so the third guy you've got really sandwiched in that group is Kyle Ritchie. So why is he the third in that um, succession? Yeah, just uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are but the, with the injury that he's been dealing with this year, but he's having shoulder, by all accounts, Having I'm told he's having shoulder surgery this summer. So that's a piece of the puzzle, especially because if you run into him, he's a really skinny kid. And I think he really could have used this summer, especially on his upper body and even his skating, there's concerns about his skating too, but just to get stronger, I think this summer was going to be really, really important for him. And now he's potentially lost that. So that plus the lost time in the pandemic. And suddenly there's just a couple of questions about Cal and, and what's next for him. Much better player, no question than, than the production this year. And a big part of that is that Oshawa team. They've really, even before they traded Brett Harrison, there just wasn't much there. Him and Brett never really, they were sort of a yin and yang too. They never really sort of figured it out together. So uh, he was often the guy on his line. I thought he was excellent at center. And whenever he's played the wing with Team Canada, uh, excellent at center in the OHL. And whenever he's played the wing with Team Canada has really, really been good with good players. I've talked to several scouts who believe that he really excels playing with good players, which helps in terms of projecting him up levels. Um just a, he's, he's got that curl and drag. Obviously he loves the curl and drag off the wing, uh, but handles the puck. Well, really detail oriented, excellent in the face off circle um, can penalty kill, can be a power play guy for sure. Uh, and I think the, the production's going to pop eventually. Like he's just, he's too good for that not to happen. Um, but yeah, the shoulder is, is a question mark. Hopefully he gets it all sorted by all accounts. The surgery is the preferred option rather than trying to let it heal naturally. And, risking having it pop out and sort of re-aggravate itself, which it did twice this season. It sounds like he dislocated it three times this year. So um, yeah, play through that, which is also a part of it, right? He, he was, I thought he, he was great. That whole line with Matt Wood and Cal was excellent. Clearly Canada's best line um, at, at UA teams. And, and now he's, he's got to take that next step. And it just feels like it might be a little bit harder for him to take that next step than a musty or, uh, some of the other kids sort of in that OHL group um, because of, of what this summer could look like for him and all of that. So I'm a fan. He's, he's a, he's a good player uh, not to sort of be too Mike Babcock there, but he's a real good player. And I think he'll, he'll put, he'll put the pieces together eventually here, but there's, there's definitely some areas that he still needs to work on in terms of the feet getting a little bit quicker from a standstill. I actually think he's a fine skater once he gets going. And then certainly, certainly just the frame and filling out. He's a really tall kid, but you see him around the rink and his face is kind of doughy, kind of baby fat. And then his frame is actually quite skinny. So uh, there's there's some sort of growing up. Uh, he's, he needs to become a man in maybe a way that that Barlow and Musty, uh, Musty don't. Now, you mentioned that Cal Rich is a guy that you're waiting for to pop. You think it's going to come. A guy that did pop in the second half of this year was Nick Lardis. Absolutely blew up after the trade from Peterborough mm -hmm. to Hamilton. 
What do you think about his game? And do you kind of see him as a guy that could creep into that end of the first round? I feels just in the conversations I've had feels unlikely there. I, I do think there was a, a real push to get into that conversation, but now it feels more like he's going to be a, a sort of second round day two guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, no question. The Hamilton was, he was a revelation in Hamilton. I was obviously mentioned that I was just in Kamloops. I think they could have, that Peterborough team could have actually really in hindsight used his speed um, and could have benefited from hanging on to him. I think it was clear that he was playing a little bit too too low in that Peterborough lineup uh, and wasn't getting the offensive sort of power play looks that he that he warranted. He was great in Hamilton with the one timer from that off wing. He can he's comfortable with it. It's that, that one timer spot is not a place where a lot of players at that age are comfortable. Uh, he doesn't have to dust it off and then shoot it on the power play. So that's an, an asset for him for sure. And then the skating is is the skating. I think outside of Oliver Moore, who I would argue is the clear cut best skater in the draft, that Nick is is right there in that next group. If if you were to have a top ten skaters, he's in that two to nine range somewhere, and he can he can fly. And and it's not just at his top speed. He's he's quick to it too. Uh, that those first couple of steps are quick. So uh, there's a lot to like there. Obviously. What, what does that look like if you're 5'10 and you're not the biggest kid and he plays a very simple direct style? I wouldn't say he's a creative player. I think he has shown some some vision and some playmaking on the power play, but at even strength, it's towards the net and speed and that's his game. And so he's he's going to need to open up a little bit and sort of find some some playmaking feel and, and sort of that into his – sort of layer that into his game, if you will. But he's – he's I, I expect him to be a, a – extremely productive player in the OHL next season and to get an entry-level contract with whichever team signs him and to follow that kind of typical path that you'd hope a prospect would follow. So uh, I have no qualms about him being a 90-point guy in the OHL next year or anything like that. I think he'll get there. Uh, it's just a matter of, okay, what what does that that game look like? And, and can he sort of figure it out beyond the shot and beyond the skating and sort of round out his game because there are a lot of kids we've seen come through the draft in recent years who can really skate, who haven't figured it out or who've taken a long time to figure it out, including the McLeod brothers who are now both OHL or both NHL players, but for a time in each case, maybe didn't look like they were quite going to get to where they've got. So uh, there's always a little bit of that, obviously for Menton's action come to mind as well, similar sort of players, but, uh, I do think he's got a little bit more talent than a, than a Formentin did. And he can certainly shoot it better at this age than a Formentin did, although that did become a more of an asset into the NHL for Formentin. So uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I like, I like Nick and, and the second half was, uh, was huge credit to him. Now to, to close things off here on your sort of top five, you've got your top ranked OHL defender for the class, and that's Hunter Bustavich. Why is he the the top defender from the O for you? Yeah, that was a tough one. I uh, I went back and forth on that. The, certainly, the consensus uh, sort of guy is Oliver Bonk. Uh, no question about that. You ask ten scouts, you'll probably get nine answers of Oliver Bonk. Um, and they they were obviously back to back in the ranking and neck and neck for me. Hunter just something about the way that kid plays. I, I think he's a better athlete than people realize in terms of the skating, how physically mature he is. All of those kids come out of the national program pretty strong. And I do think when you run into him, you realize that, okay, this is a, this kid's an athlete. He's a kid who performed quite well in that on ice testing that we, we talked about at the CHL top prospects game back in January. Um, and then, just that that Kitchener team was a bit of a mess until they weren't right. Like they were always a more talented team 
than everybody realized, I think, including the Windsor Spitfires. And they were always a better team on paper than, than the pieces sort of suggested. And then it just didn't really come together for them until late in the year. And he was the constant. If you talk to Mike McKenzie and that coaching staff there, Thomas Hemera of the Ottawa Senators really struggled for them in the stretches. And Carson Raycop really struggled for them in stretches. And Philip Mayshar really struggled for them in stretches. And Hunter was just good start to finish for that team all year long. And I think that's telling about a player at that age, just of the maturity of his game, the way he prepares, the consistency. Um, and obviously you need to be more than mature and consistent to become an NHL player. Uh, I don't want to sort of dumb him down, but he, he skates well. He thinks the game well. He sort of steers and, and operates well from the back end in terms of steering coverage, uh, both with the puck and without the puck. He defends fine for me. Uh, not the not the tallest kid, but again, I think he's stronger than he looks and, and sort of just fine in battles. And I, I just could never quite get uh, to Bonk where other people are. I, I, I know there are people who believe that Bonk's going to be a top four defenseman. And I just think that with both Brustavich and Bonk, you're looking at a kid who's more likely a number five, number six guy at the next level. Um, so I, yeah, I, I still like both players. I don't, I don't want to sort of, uh, I don't know Oliver Bonk either. Oliver Bonk was excellent this year and you have to be excellent to play like as much as he did uh, for, for the Hunter brothers. So um, a lot to like about both of those guys, but they both feel uh, like their ceilings are clo- maybe closer together for me than they would be for your, for, for a sort of consensus of NHL scouts. And I think that has more to do with me being maybe a, a smidge lower on Oliver Bonk than it does with me being super bullish on, on Brustavich. Yeah. I think the big thing for me was the difference in his defensive play in the second half as Kitchener started to play a lot better. Like you said, he was consistent from, from day one. I felt like even when they were going through struggles, but in the second half, I, I felt like that was the big difference for me in, in liking him a lot more as a prospect. I think that, improving in his own zone really helped his projection. And and I agree with you. I, I don't think that the ceiling is incredibly high, but uh, I think that there is safety in him now because I do think I agree with you that he's a better athlete than, than people realize. Yeah. And he, people forget too. He was like, this is a kid I've been hearing about for years and not just as the, Oh, this kid's going to make the national development team and play for USA hockey and all that. He was the guy, he was the defenseman in Michigan coming up in minor hockey. And he put up a hundred plus points in, in a season in minor hockey and all of that happened for him. So I think part of what the way that it's played out for him is at the national program, he played on that team with, with uh, Seamus Casey and Lane Hudson. He didn't get to have the offensive opportunities that you would typically have of a player of his notoriety in minor hockey and then this year, we, we sort of finally began to see it. And that's not to say he's some dynamic offensive defenseman anymore, but he you could see the, the, the symptoms that were there. You could see the signs that were there of what he looked like in the past and just sort of him coming into his own, feeling himself a little bit more, playing a little bit more ambitious off the offensive zone blue line, activating a little bit more often. And then you saw a player who of, of okay, maybe this kid's got sort of a modern game to him. Maybe he can be a sort of two-way depth defenseman. And that's ultimately where I think he lands. So next question we want to try to get into is maybe a guy from the all outside of the five that we just talked about, and maybe even a few of the other guys that we did sort of mention in passing is who do you feel is the most underrated or under the radar prospect from the OHL this year for the draft? I might argue Luca Pinelli um, and not under the radar in terms of everybody's watched him. Everybody knows who Luca Pinelli is. If you follow the draft at this point, 
but he does feel to me like a kid who is better than people realize and more can sort of consistently impactful than people realize and is kind of like has that dog in him too like Lucas uh he was always a smaller kid coming up a little bit like his older brother Francesco had this view of him as a poor skater that I think was almost miscast back onto Luca as Luca was coming up. Luca can skate. He can get after it. He gets in on it on the four check. He's, he's sort of in the fight all of the time. He's on pucks. He goes from winning one battle to winning the next battle. And then on top of that has some skill and showed it this year, including at the top prospects game where I thought he was a standout. So uh, he's, he's good. He's a, big part of that team I know Dave Cameron I've spoken with Dave Cameron a little bit about him over the last couple of years and Dave thinks the world of him thinks he's going to be an NHL player uh, is a real believer in him and Dave Cameron's the kind of person who would tell you if he didn't think that and would be blunt with you that way so uh, I've always respected that about him I don't think he's just pumping his guys tires that way uh, he's he's sneaky sneaky good and I, I don't know if that means he has an NHL career he's kind of in that range of prospects once you get outside the sort of top 50 in any draft it's uh, you're you're more likely not to play than you are to play but i could see him getting an elc and giving it a good go and becoming a good ahl player and then becoming a call-up option and then sticking right like that I, I i don't think that's a crazy career path for him there's some creativity there he's got some skill he works his tail off uh i'm a i'm a fan of 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 lucas for sure Okay, so kind of a similar question, but a little bit different is, is there a player from the OHL who you kind of started the year a little bit lower on and then somebody who just really grew on you uh, as the year went on? Ooh, uh, well, there's, I would probably, uh, just going back to Sudbury, Matthew Mania would probably be a guy who sort of grew on me as the year went on. Um, There are a few of those though. Easton Cowan was a kid who caught my eye way back at the U17 World Hockey Challenge just with his speed and the energy and the pace he played with. Uh, And then I think this year, Denver became, Denver Barkey became the guy that everybody would go there and and sort of talk about and watch. And he also plays a similar style. They're both kind of five foot nine, five foot 10 guys, and they really buzz around the ice and they play with a lot of pace. And it's, you can almost confuse them when they're out there at times. Um, so Cowan's a kid who sort of worked his way onto my list. Even a few months ago, I wouldn't have expected that he would have sort of been on my list. And then that line of Cowan and Barkley, Barky and, and Ryan Winterton were just so good in the playoffs for them. And, uh, to have two draft eligible kids driving the bus on a potential title team, uh, is, is a big deal, especially when that team is the London Knights. And we all know how they treat uh, sort of 19 and 20 year old players in terms of usage and all of that. So, uh, Cowan's a kid and then Mania for sure. Mania can skate. He's ambitious with the puck almost uh, to a fault at times. There's a little bit of fearlessness to his game in terms of creating offense and trying to manufacture offense. Has work to do to sort of clean up his gaps and his reads and that that all looks a little rusty at times. Uh, but Mania is a kid who has some like clear, clear, clear tools to, to sort of work with. And in a draft where there, there aren't defensemen at least in the numbers that we're used to uh, I think that has appeal kind of in the middle rounds of the draft so uh, those are two kids that I would probably point to I think I kind of know the answer to this because you alluded to it earlier but who would be the guy that kind of fell the most or maybe you were most disappointed with this year from the OHL yeah I mean Allen's the the simple answer there that I think you again that's an answer you'd get from maybe not even nine out of 10 scouts. You might get that from 10 out of 10 scouts. He just, he lost it. 
he a year ago this time was cleaning up as the the sort of end of a very good 16 year old season by any measure he was good he was good for them at both ends he played 20 plus minutes a night for the Guelph Storm as a 16 year old and that's pretty rare and then this year game after game after game the decision making was just so suspect uh, especially with the puck the reads without it I think he can get away with because he's so much stronger than everybody else. He's an extremely fit athlete. And so if he overcompensates on a gap or misses in coverage, he can often still get a piece of you or be disruptive because he's so sturdy and strong. And when he bumps into guys, they, they sort of roll off of him in ways that they don't off of smaller defensemen. So that piece of his game has been consistent throughout the year. Uh, and and allowed him to make mistakes on his reads and poor gaps and poor choices on closeouts and stepping up and all of that. But it's the reads and the decisions with the puck where it's just, you cannot turn the puck, cough the puck up three, four times a game and be an NHL defenseman if you're doing that at the junior level. And that's, that became the reality for him. It just, it looked like almost a, a crisis of confidence where he just didn't trust himself to make his play anymore. And as a result, just kept getting burned and burned and burned. And it just became an even bigger and bigger issue. So the physical tools are there with Allen. No question. He's, as I mentioned, like just built, he's a strong, strong kid. Uh, and he can really shoot the puck and he still was generating a ton of shots this year. And uh, all of those things, sort of all those boxes kind of checked. There's still some appeal to his game. But he is so far away from being a first-round pick at this point. And that's, that was the conversation that he was in at the start of the year. So um, it would probably be him. There were other kids that, that sort of disappointed me. Like, I was expecting a little bit more out of Colson Petra. And, um, the, even Tristan Bertucci, I'm still waiting for him to really put all of the pieces together. We see how active he is and how he's capable of involving himself in the play and, and really loves to join the rush and all of that but never really sort of found that that level that I was maybe expecting of him. And he's another kid uh, sort of like Prustavich, who was a top, top player in minor hockey, obviously. So uh, there are a couple of kids who maybe didn't meet my expectations, uh, but Cam just, just, it almost felt like he, and I don't want to be too harsh, but it almost felt like he sort of crumbled under his expectations and uh, it was tough to watch at times. So I'm, I'm hopeful that he can sort of bounce back in a big way and, get some confidence going again next year. Yeah, I think I think the hope with Cam Allen is that a lot of people go, if he's drafted late, maybe he can kind of find his game and develop slowly and no pressure on him. But let's mm-hmm. look on the other side of things. Do you have an ultimate sleeper, whether or not they're in the OHL, a guy that you think is down the down the board on even your board or a lot of boards across the, 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 the spectrum that you think is going to be a really, really good player going forward? Yeah, probably Alex Chernik. Um, he played, he obviously a Slovakian kid who's played with the national team and has kind of come up with Albert Dvorsky in that program and has been very productive through Holinka and U18s and even playing this year. Uh, he was good in a top nine role for them, I thought, in Halifax at the World Juniors, but has also been uh, in his age group an extremely productive player at the J20 level, first a couple of years ago. Then last year, as a 17-year-old, he's at 04, so he's sort of a year ahead of some of these kids. But last year, as a 17-year-old, sort of cracked the hockey Alsvenskan level and didn't look out of place. And then this year was equally as as productive as Dvorsky was in about the same number of games played. And very different players. Dvorsky's a top-10 talent for me, and Chernik's more of a second-round guy. But I, I like Chernik. He can really skate. 
Uh, he's sort of, he's not small, but he's not big either. He's kind of five foot 10 and a half. Maybe he'll, he'll end up at five foot 11 kind of thing, uh, but can really wheel plays that sort of knifing attack you on angles style that you want your wingers to play in today's game, just in terms of his ability to take defenders one-on-one create advantages for himself with his skating and his hands, and then sort of try to exploit from there as best he can. Uh, works hard off the puck to have no issues with the way that he tracks the play and, and sort of up and under on sticks and all of that. Um, not going to be a star at the next level, but I could see him following a similar path to the one that say Adam Sakura has, has followed to become a, a legit prospect for the New York Rangers and one of their better sort of B B plus prospects. Uh, so that's sort of, that's my expectation for Chernick. I, I think he's got an opportunity here to sort of just work his way through it, to be a productive player at, at lower junior or, or lower pro levels, I should say, uh, and then sort of put the pieces together. And he, he's got the skating, he's got the skill. Um, it's just now about sort of rounding it out. And, and at that size, and when you're not a first round pick, you have to prove it every step of the way. So I think he's going to have to do that, which by default, uh, even if it's unfair to him, just makes his path maybe a little bit harder than some other kids who are maybe less talented, but have the size element or the forechecking element or the PKing element to fall back on that he maybe doesn't have. Uh, but if there is a guy who's going to sort of emerge from the middle of this draft, and I don't think Chernick's even potentially going to go in the second round. I think he, he, you could see him go in the third or fourth round. If there's a kid like that, that I think could, uh, could become a nice little player. Uh, I think he's got an opportunity to do that. All right, Scott, we really appreciate you doing this. I'm a big fan of Sternick as well, so I, I appreciate hearing any love for him. Plug your work. Let, let people know where they can find you. Yeah, we're recording this a day after my my final top 100 dropping at The Athletic. They, uh, the design and engineering team, if, you, if your viewers haven't seen it already, designed a beautiful new sort of interface that – uh, just make sort of elevates the rankings in a big, big way and just makes it so much more readable and all that. So big, uh, big, big fan of that. Uh, and yeah, that's that from now on, it's just uh, loose ends. I've got a piece on overagers coming. I've got a piece on the goaltending crop coming and a piece on 30 guys who missed my cut and all of that. So uh, just more scouting reports coming, more storytelling coming the the usual routine here for me the rest of the way and then we're uh and then before we know it we'll be in nashville and i'll be drinking a beer and thinking about mackie celebrini and everything else that comes next so <laughs> thank you very much scott we really appreciate you doing this yeah thanks scott thanks guys thank you very much to scott wheeler for joining us on the pod again he's always a good conversation let's preview first next week we're going to be doing our top fives of the OHL draft prospects, your top five, mine, both for the draft. Who let's let's preview a little bit. Who's your top guy? Because I know we have differentiating top guys, and mine goes against consensus a little bit. Yeah, mine is the one that goes with consensus. It's Colby Barlow. We've talked about that uh, a lot on on the pod. He's been my number one from the O pretty much all year, except for maybe at the very beginning when I was still kind of on the Cal Ritchie train. And I still like Ritchie a lot. It's but I just feel like Barlow is a really safe bet to be a, a solid middle six, maybe even second line contributor. Yeah. And mine's Quinton Musty, a guy I have a lot, a lot more faith in than some people. I think some of the, the effort issues are a little bit overblown, but I definitely see the concerns that everyone has. So we'll dive more into those next week, getting deep down into our top fives and kind of analyzing each player. But first let's move on to what happened this earlier this week. And that was the piece losing in the semifinals of the Memorial cup. What did you think about their effort in general? 
it's uh, not necessarily the best result, but they fought when their backs were against the wall and at least made an effort of it. Yeah, I think they have to be really happy with their performance. Um, they clawed back to, to get to the semifinals, and then in the semis, they kind of got out Peterborough, for lack of a better term, right? I, I feel like Seattle did what Peterborough had been doing to teams in the OHL playoffs, and that's you know not really sending a heavy forecheck, just clogging up the neutral zone, not allowing Peterborough to beat them with any sort of speed. Everything was kind of kept to the perimeter, and, and when they did manage to get some kind of high-end chance, uh, Milich was there, and that was sort of the difference in that Seattle game. Yeah, it was really interesting to kind of see Peterborough do what they've done kind of all year. They they put themselves in a really poor situation. They had to fight to get back. They won the tiebreaker, go to the semis. And, and at the end of the day, I think they were just overmatched by a team that, like you said, out peterborough them to an extent. But I think the other thing was that Seattle team was loaded this year. I think they were absolutely stacked. They, they were the team I thought was going to win the Memorial Cup, but the Quebec Ramparts ended up winning it all just being dominant and with the only team actually defeating them at the Memorial Cup was the Peterborough Peets. So what did you think about Quebec's win? Yeah, I mean, obviously the two of us just completely underrated Quebec <laughs> going into this tournament because we hadn't chatted about them at all, really. We had talked about Seattle and Kamloops going in and how we felt, you know, maybe a West team was going to capture this one. And it was Quebec all the way. Patrick Waugh just had that team firing in all cylinders. They were just an unstoppable force. They got great goaltending from Rousseau. Um, their defense was great. The, everything about their game was solid. And I was kind of shocked at, I'm going to call it easily, how easily they beat Seattle in the final. I mean, it was a good game. And yes, the scoreline is more indicative of the fact that they scored some goals late to just kind of pile it on. But I mean, were you kind of shocked by the result of that in the final? I honestly was. And I mean, it's not going to come as a shock to anybody who's followed in my work over the last few years. I really underrated the uh, the QMJHL and didn't really give them a chance. Like you said, we didn't talk about them a whole lot, but this Quebec Ramparts team was so, so good in every aspect of the game. I thought their defensive play, they, they defended as a unit really, really well. Uh, guys like Evan Nelson and stuff stood on their heads, did a really good job. And then, like you said, William Rousseau was fantastic. This might have been the best I've ever seen James Malatesta, the run in the QMJHL playoffs and then at the Memorial Cup. A, a deserving MVP at the Memorial Cup and in the QMJHL playoffs. And, and Theo Rochette was fantastic. Nathan Gauthier, like they had a lot of guys step up in big moments. And, and I don't know if it's the clutch gene or, or if people believe in that, but they had guys show up when it mattered. And I think that was the big thing for the Quebec Ramparts. And I think it helps that they all kind of knew it was Patrick Waugh's last few games as a coach for the Quebec Ramparts as he's hoping to move on to the back into the NHL. So he might as well send him out like he went in, uh, winning a Memorial Cup as he did in his first year behind the bench with them. So it was a fitting end to his, uh, his tenure as coach there. Let's talk about the team of the week, though. The St. Louis Blues are this week's subject. They've only got a couple prospects, and let's get the ones that are kind of we can brush over a little bit. No, no offense to them, but Landon Sim of the London Knights, right winger, played played 56 games, 14 goals, seven assists. This is a guy that played in the bottom six a lot of the year, wasn't a huge offensive contributor, but that goal total outweighing the assist total does mean something. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that scores goals because he gets to the net, right? He plays that high energy game, a little bit like his father, right, John. Um, Plays that north-south south, uh, style of game with speed and tenacious. Kind of a typical 
Monday night's third or fourth liner, right? So the big thing for him next year is going to be, can he push his way into that top six, right? And and increase his offensive production and become a better offensive player to, to give him a better projection as an NHL player. Because right now, I I wouldn't necessarily project him to, to be an NHL player. Yes, he does bring some elements to, to the ice that could make him a valuable depth player. But I think we're going to need to see some steps forward from him uh, next year in order to to earn that contract. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you there. It's he's a guy that I think when he was drafted late last year, I, th- I was a little shocked, but you were like, okay, you can project some of the tools. And some of the things are there that you can go. This is a guy that could play for the St. Louis blues down the road this season. He didn't really take a step forward. And I think that's the, the big issue in his development this year. Like you said, next year, it's going to be about trying to push himself into that top six, get himself in there and be a, a contributing player. Let's move on to Will Cranley, though, the goalie for the Flint Firebirds this year. He didn't really have as good a season as I thought a lot of people were going to think, or as a lot of people thought he was going to have. He had an 884 save percentage, a 3.87 goals against average, 18-18-4 and was his record in 44 games. He played in one playoff game, but it was he led in three goals and 10 shots in relief. By the time the season was over, he was no longer their starter. I got to be honest, like when, when we were putting together the notes for the show and I saw Cranley listed, I almost said, Tony, they didn't sign him. What are you talking about? Like his rights expired. And then I went and looked and sure enough, they, they did sign Cranley. And, and I mean that I'm not trying to be mean here, but uh, I, you know, I don't think that he necessarily developed into what I would consider a serious NHL goaltending prospect uh, this year. He lost the starting job to Nathaniel Day in the playoffs uh, because his, performance down the stretch for Flint just wasn't terrific and and day was pretty solid so that's who they ended up going with in the playoffs they brought Cranley in at at the start of this year or in the offseason to be that number one guy for them and he just kind of wasn't and I think he's going to have a tough time maybe even at the ECHL level at this point yeah he's a guy that I don't know if I project towards the pro level and and see where he goes but We've seen goalies come out of nowhere and develop slowly, come into their own at the age of 21, 22, and, and maybe a couple years in the ECHL, AHL, and working his way up. Who knows? We've seen uh, stranger things happen with goalies, but the, the top prospect from the OHL is Michael Buchinger, Buch, Michael Buchinger uh, 14 goals, 52 assists for 67 points in 61 games. Really good defenseman for the Guelph Storm this year. What do you think about his game in towards his NHL projection? Yeah, he had a really good year. Honestly, I wasn't as high on him at the draft last year as maybe some other people were. And I felt like he was one of those guys that had a lot of good tools, but not necessarily one that stood out above the rest, maybe other than the skating ability. And I kind of felt like he was a player without a projection. Like, what is he at the NHL level? And I think he improved in pretty much every facet this year. I thought that he was a lot more physically assertive. And I thought he was better in the defensive end. And I think that when you combine that with his mobility, I think he's at least given him a shot to be, you know, a, a solid third pairing guy who can play more of a defensive role if, if he keeps adding strength and he keeps improving in that area. But he also improved a ton in terms of his confidence and using his mobility and his and his speed and quickness to impact the game from an offensive perspective. And now we're seeing a really solid two-way defender who I think has a projection as, as a two-way defender at the NHL level. Um, you know, maybe he's still not more than like a solid number five. Uh, he's not a dynamically skilled player. Um, but I, I do think that the year that he had this year was extremely positive. 
Yeah, I think what we've talked about many times on this podcast is when you're a defenseman at the junior level, you have to at least show that you're capable offensively. You have to at least show that you're able to move the puck effectively, make the basic passes. And at the junior level, a lot of times that will result in points. And Mike Wukinger did that this year. It's It was good to see him take that step. Like you said, he became a guy that could be relied upon with the puck on his stick, not necessarily to be this dynamic presence, but being a guy that can reliably move the puck from point A to point B get some goals with a good shot, make some plays in the offensive zone, and be that reliable two-way presence. I think the development has been really good. Like you said, I don't think I was as high on him last year as, as a lot of people were as well. So it's good to see him kind of take that step developmentally. And, and this is kind of the opposite of what we talked about with Lennon Sim, where you took a guy where it's a project and you hope to see him take a step. Buchinger did take that step. He took the step offensively. He took the step defensively. He needs to develop physically a little bit more. He needs to continue getting stronger and, and, and even pick up pace a little bit offensively with his uh, skating. But I think this is a decent prospect, and, and the Blues seem to have found themselves a decent one. Yeah, and I think he probably comes into next year as possibly a, a top three favorite for the Max Kaminsky. Uh, I would say I would put him in that conversation. So, yeah, he's he's trending upwards, and I think St. Louis has to be really happy. Yeah, I agree with you there, but – that brings us to the end of the show, though. Make sure you follow Scott Wheeler at Scott C. Wheeler on Twitter. We thank him again for coming on the podcast and sharing his insight. You can follow myself at the Tony Ferrari and follow Brock at Brock Otten. Make sure to follow Hockey News on Twitter as well at the Hockey News. Thank you again for listening. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe wherever you're listening to on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you are. We appreciate you listening. Thank you again for watching, watching and listening to THN on the O brought to you by BetMGM.